Chapter 2 Yalmoth stepped off Pilgrim Way and stood on a rocky overlook. The desert was a vast, dun-colored disc far below. It did not seem so much a place, but a non-place. From this height, scrubbrush and stunted trees seemed only lichens clutching an infertile stone. Footpaths and game trails formed a fragile net across the ground. A single long highway cut through the desert, linking the other eight Thran city-states to their capital. Yalmoth had walked every step along that highway. The Elder Council had revoked his banishment, had summoned him from the ends of the world, had demanded that he leave his exiled comrades, and report to the capital of the Empire, but they had apparently felt no need to provide transport. While he walked Pilgrim Way, hundreds of skyships had passed overhead. Cargoes of grain and ale were apparently more precious than Yawmoth. He didn't mind. Yawmoth was young, only 35, well-muscled and taller than most other Thran. His tanned skin withstood even the blazing desert sun, and thick black hair formed a natural visor over his eyes. Dirty and tattered travel robes hid a body tuned to hard labor and deprivation. He didn't mind the deadly journey, or the council's insulting disregard. He was used to both. Before receiving his summons, Yalmoth and all practitioners of medical healing had been officially banished from the Empire. Their exile concluded a civil war that had begun a hundred years ago. It had been a war of city-state sovereignty. When Halcyon solidified its position as the capital of the Empire, the war became politicized as a battle between artificers and eugenicists. Artificers believed in improving the Thran by building them bigger and better machines. Eugenicists believed in improving the Thran by dissecting and understanding the machines of biology. Both wanted to improve the Thran. There was no conflict between real artificers and real eugenicists. Each faction, though, was championed by a political party. The artificers by the elite imperialists, and the eugenicists by the republican rabble. When at last the rabble were defeated, their eugenicist champion was scapegoated and exiled. Yalmoth and his 200 followers had wandered for five years among lizardmen and minotaurs, goblins and orcs, studying the disease that plagued them. The only other threat the eugenicists ever saw were outcasts, leopards and lunatics. It was no matter. Leopards and lunatics aided Yalmoth's research of pathogens and contagions. Though the Elder Council had thought banishment would punish the eugenicists for their unorthodox approach to healing, it only provided a crucible in which to perfect their art. Disease and dysfunction were not caused by evil spirits or blocked mana pathways or lunar cycles. They were caused by tiny creatures that invaded a body much like an army might invade a nation. They were caused by malfunction of physical processes. The human body was no more than a complex mechanism, a machine like a mana rig. The Thran needn't rely on healers and their attendant monkery. A rigorous study of living organisms, proper function, common dysfunction, and diseased species could render a completely material and mundane program for healing. Now the Elder Council was in need of Yawgmoth's new science. The great artificer Glaceon was rotting like a common leper. Magic had only made him worse. He had languished for a year in this pathetic state. At last, the outcast has been summoned. A smile spread across Yawgmoth's lips. His own people finally realized they needed him. Now that they realized it, Yawgmoth would never let them forget it. Below lay the desert. Above hovered beautiful fabled Halcyon. Pilgrim Way connected the two, twisting it way up the sheer face of the volcanic extrusion. It was a steep and treacherous path. Always, the road from hell to heaven would be so. Now, Yalmoth stood only a few dozen paces from the gates of that heaven. A white marble gateway towered the narrow road. It was twice as wide and thrice as tall as any creature that could have made the journey to the top. Niches within the columns held ornately carved figures. To one side stood a nude and muscled man, and to the other a nude and muscled woman. They were the Thran's image of perfect beauty, 
their limbs massive and yet pose with a subtle ease across their harmless frames. Yawmoth laughed darkly to himself. He had seen human bodies inside and out, exploring every inch. Even healthy bodies never resembled these perfect figures. Of course they've rejected my theories. They don't even know what their own bodies look like. Between the figures, gigantic gates of iron stood wide open. Power stones winked in the stout bars. Jewels enchanted to repel rams and slay attackers. Through the gates fanned a white marble threshold, fronted by a clear stream. Architectural symbolism. When folk entered the city, the dust of the world below was washed from their feet. When folk left, their first steps beyond made dirt cakes on their shoes. As he approached, Yawmoth stared in amazement at the artificial stream. What sort of people divert a river across their gate? We do, came a woman's quiet voice from the other side of the stream. Welcome to Halcyon, Master Yawmoth. He lifted his eyes to see a young woman wearing the white robes of a council member. The ceremonial garb fit her poorly. Her hands fretted impatiently within the bulky sleeves, and the stole around her neck was uneven. Her tanned skin and sun-bleached hair showed she was used to working outside, and her pale eyes were keen and impatient above the fussy robes. Even now, her gaze dipped toward the garment, and she smiled an apology. Forgive my appearance. I came from the infirmary. I had expected you would arrive there by the aerial transport I dispatched a phone on. Yawmoth waved her off. After piecing a water passage from Jamura and walking all the way to Phonon, I wasn't about to accept charity. Beneath her tan, the woman blushed prettily. Yes, my apologies for that as well. I had a battle even to get your banishment revoked. The council forbade me to send an escort. A glinting smile filled Yagma's face. It was a dazzling smile, and he knew it. So you're the one who fought to bring me back? Yes, said the woman. I am the one. My name is Rebecca. Ah, Rebecca, architect of Imperium Spaces, Yalmoth said, impressed. The flattering blush returned. You've heard of me? Even among outcasts and lepers, you are known. Yes, Yalmoth said. He looked down at the clear, cool stream that separated them. Rebecca stood on white marble and Yalmoth on dust. But we haven't heard of this. It's a ritual abulation, Rebecca said, again smiling an apology. It is meant to remind us we are rising from the dust of the past into the clean skies. What sort of people? It's my own design, Rebecca broke in. And I carved the father and mother Thran there beside the gates and designed much of what lies within. Just so you know. Yalmoth patted dust from the canvas backpack. No little trickle will be enough to wash the world for me. I've got it under my fingernails and ground into my skin. Even my blood is one part mud. She stooped beside the stream and gestured him forward. Come here. I couldn't get you an aerial escort, but at least I could wash your feet that brought you here. Yamoth said. Perhaps Halcyon welcomes me after all. He stepped into the stream. Chill water snaked past laces and leather in the ragged stockings he wore. Mud streamed away in brown clouds. Rebecca's fingers deftly worked the laces loose. She tugged one boot off and then the stocking. Her touch was firm, but gentle as she laved away the dirt of the road. She massaged calluses and soothed aching muscles. Then she eased the other boot loose. Yalmoth stood while she worked. His eyes traced the gate. Do you do the gem cutting as well? That is the work of my husband, Rebecca replied. The one who lies ill. The one you've been summoned to heal. Yalmoth pulled his foot from her hands. Your husband? He picked up the dripping boots and stockings and stepped from the stream onto the white marble threshold. His wet feet slipped. Rebecca caught him.
She was strong and sure-footed. She laughed. That was an oversight of my design. Wet marble is slick. The laugh was contagious. I see the symbolism. An outsider such as I enter the city only with the aid of a citizen. Else he might fall on his ass. Yes, splendid symbolism. Rebecca said wearily. Here, lean on me until we reach the sedan chair. I have no choice. You could fall on your ass. Not in such lovely company. Yamoth leaned upon Rebecca as the two made their way beneath the shadow of the arch. Ice-colored stone formed a short tunnel. There was a gentle curve built into archway so that no one could glimpse the city before crossing the threshold. And none in the city could glimpse the outer world without leaving. The slow rising path reminded entrance they must ascend, and to ascend is work. Beyond the curve, Yalmoth caught his first glimpse of the lofty Halcyon. The city was splendid. Its sparkling districts rose through the eight terraces toward the highest point, the western plateau. Street of white brick maze among three and four story townhouses in limestone. Roofs of blue tile topped the smaller and more conventional buildings. On the highest terrace towered minarets with onion domes, flying archways, and slender buttresses. A stadium stood there, and beside it, the amphitheater, council hall, and high court. Libraries, archives, noble palaces, temples. The city crowded the eight terraces to the sheer edge of the extrusion. A wide white wall surrounded it all. Archways in the wall led to five aerial ports where merchant caravels hovered. A beautiful city, Yalmoth said. A vision out of a dream. That building there, with the stacked white terraces and the ivy-covered apps, that is the infirmary. That is where we are headed. Yalmoth nodded. I was about to observe what seemed like a pile of dishes ready to be washed. But, of course, this was one of your designs. She cocked her head. You catch on quickly. She gestured at the nearby sedan chair. It was a low-slung seat encased in a fanciful framework of slender white bars. This is our ride. This? Yalmoth asked, gesturing to the delicate contraption. I'm used to riding in wagons filled with manure. Rebecca was already climbing in. Her bulky robes hung on the sedan chair's frame, and she irritably tugged it free. Stick with me, Yalmoth, and the city is yours. It sounds as though I will. He settled into the seat beside her. It was covered in needlework of blue and black, and the dust of Yalmoth's robes sloughed off in the fine fabric. He gently eased his pack into a small hold behind the seat. I brought all my rather meager supplies. Oh, the infirmary has every possible supply, Rebecca said, checking the skies overhead. The healers are well stocked. I'm sure they have everything you can need. Knives, bones, curved needles, tissue clamps, leeches, shunts, opiates, sopophorics, spirits? A grim look came over Rebecca's face. I'm glad you brought your supplies. I forgot how revolutionary your treatments are. She cupped her hand beneath a power stone in a raised setting of silver. Her fingers gently contacted the stone, and she pulled upward. Though the stone did not lift, the craft did. It glided smoothly and soundlessly up in the air. The vast gate fell away. Blue tile rooftops replaced white brick streets. Yalmoth stared, intrigued. Speaking of revolutionary... Imagine that gem is the sedan chair. By pressing the base of it, I lift the craft and us into the air. To turn, I merely press a button on one side or the other. To lift the bow or stern, I apply pressure there. And what if you let go? Yalmoth asked, pulling her hand away. The jewel remained where it had been, suspended on its mounting, and the craft remained in place as well. Rebecca smiled. 
It's my husband's design. You can't fall from the sky. A chair can hang safely forever. Unless the power stones failed, Yama said as the craft nosed out above the retreating rooftops. Power stones don't fail, Rebecca said. They do fail, Yama said. They will fail. The white streets of the city jagged by below. Once charged, they're harder than diamonds, than adamantite. They're geographically perfect, and unless geometry changes, they will not fail. Yalmoth pointed toward the edge of the infirmary, where workers clambered among scaffolds and cement forms. What happened to that wing of your infirmary? Rebecca stared sharply at the man, but the craft never faltered. You heard of the accident then? Talk on the road? I had time to sort among traveler stories. Determine what emergency brought me, Yalmoth replied simply. That was an anomaly. That stone had not cooled when it was, when the untouchable drove it. I think blood compromised its matrix. I heard there was blood on many of the gems. Did you dispose of them? Here we are, Rebecca said, bringing the sedan chair to land lightly atop the infirmary. Several other craft perched on birch and platforms that jutted from the tile rooftop. A set of stairs led down from the spot. Rebecca released the power stone, climbed from the craft, and descended the stairs. Yalmoth grabbed his pack and followed. You did not use them, didn't you? A doorway opened below and Rebecca walked through it. We cleaned and checked every stone before employing it. None showed any sign of flawless or weakness. He strode beside her down a gently lit corridor. You don't really know how the power stones work. You've created a whole city that relies on an energy source you do not understand. Magic, you say. It's magic. Oh, how clever. And when the magic fails, you simply say, it must have been more magic. Look at this infirmary. It's a monument to superstition and quackery. You've placed your hopes in fakes and phonies. It is no wonder your genius husband is dying of a wasting disease. He said this last as they strode through a doorway into a room where sat a gray-haired man. The patient, he was clearly in the power stone-driven wheelchair, was wan and haggard. His eyes and cheeks were sunken. His shoulders slumped. He looked up toward the two arrivals. His eyes settled first on Rebecca, then shifted to Yawmoth. You must be Yawmoth. I am Glaceon, the genius husband dying of a wasting disease. Into the awkward silence, Yawmoth said, Not any longer. He slung the pack from his back and strode confidently toward the man in the chair. Yawmoth shucked his travel cloak on the floor, set his pack on the bed, and flung back the flap. Dust settled onto the spread. He poured water from a pitcher into a basin and washed his hands to the elbows. Then, turning to his pack, he gingerly pulled forth a small knife, a set of tweezers, and several stoppered vials. No more muggery. We're going to discover the cause of your illness. We're going to heal you. Glaceon cast a long-suffering look at Rebecca, and he gave a raspy sigh. You don't understand. You are no savior, Yalmoth. We are done with real healers. They have exhausted their techniques, and now in desperation we turn to you. We aren't setting aside witchery. We are summoning it. Glaceon fixed a large man with a level stare. Your so-called methods are only too well known to us. I was among the elders who voted for your original banishment. If it were up to me, you would still be stuck in far Jamura, poking six up the backsides of syphilic mules. But my wife fears for me, and the council and city are terrified to do without me, as I am the only one who truly understands the machinery beneath this city. They are willing to try anything. And you, Yawmoth, you just barely qualify as anything. Hatred leapt like sparks between them. Glaceon continued. You got one thing right, though. I am dying of a wasting illness. I am resigned to it. 
Only in the resignation do I let you poke and scrape. You cannot make me worse than death itself will shortly. Breaking on contact, Yawmoth laughed lightly. You wouldn't say that if I were a syphilic mule. Glaceon joined the man in laughter. The sound set Rebecca to breathing again. She had not caught a breath since entering the room. Her husband coughed raggedly and then said, Even if I were a syphilitic mule, I would still say it. Well then, Yalma said, it is up to me to convince you otherwise. You and the whole city. He crouched beside the chair. Now, tribal talks that there are lesions. Let's have a look. Glaceon's eyes flared. Travel talk? The whole empire is worried, Yalmoth sued. These words bombed the man's ego and the fury in his eyes dimmed. Yalmoth said, In fact, you are not the only one suffering from this condition. In some of the city-states, it is becoming endemic, if not epidemic. Many of the poor have been infected. Your own caves of the dam are said to be rife with it. Even a few of the elite suffer from it. But, of course, you are the national treasure to have the disease. Now, let's have a look. The worst spot is on his back, Rebecca said, hurrying to her husband's side and drawing the dressing gown back from the man's shoulder. Can you lean over? I lean over for no man, growled Glaceon. As soon you will discover. Then it's the bed, Yalmoth said. Glaceon was suddenly in his arms. Yalmoth's movements were so quick and assured that there was no time for objection. He conveyed his patient onto his belly on the bed and drew the robe summarily back from the man's body. Glaceon lay there, small and panting. His ribs showed through flesh the color of mushrooms. The skin was covered with a large mass of suppurating lesions. A hundred dark smudges schooled across one scapula. A white substance oozed from the spots. Each lesion showed a dark tail that sank away into muscle. When did this appear? Just after the attack. They came one by one. The healers only made the spots worse. There are also sections on his belly and his left buttock. Ah, Glaceon snipped. He'll want to be seeing that. No, Yama said. Not today. Today, what I want to see is this. He took the small knife he brought from the pack and lightly scraped some of the filmy liquids from the lesions. Careful not to touch the substance himself, he wiped the stuff from the knife onto the lip of an unstoppered vial. He fastened the lid. This fluid here will tell me much about the source of this ailment. It's a lymph, one of the body's defenses against illness. Its composition will tell me what sort of disease your body fights. Shall I spit and piss in your jars too? Monteglacion. Soon enough, Yamoth replied smoothly. First, with a pair of tweezers, he laid hold of the end of one oil hair that protruded from a lesion. Tugging back and forth on the hair, he slowly cracked the skin around it. Glaceon twitched with each pull, and his hands clutched the bed. Persistently, Yalmoth worked the hair until it pulled free, trailing a tattered section of flesh. He gingerly deposited it into another vial. This is a follicle, a specialized tissue. The effect of the illness on it will tell me much about the disease means of spreading. Why don't you just carve up my back? Glaceon protested. Yes, why not? Yalmoth replied. The tip of his knife sliced into the healthy skin just beyond one large lesion. With a slow precision that might have seemed relishing, Yalmoth insinuated the blade beneath the lesion, cutting deeply enough to take tail of the infection along with the main body. Glaceon's knuckles grew white on the bed. Yalmoth finished the cut and drew the disc of skin up in a pair of tweezers. Dark blood welled up in the hole he had made. And this is the ailment in microcosm. This will tell me how it develops. 
He deposited the bloody item in a third vial. Gore began to run from the cut and Yalmoth absently dropped a piece of bleached wool on the spot. I'll say this for your methods, Glaceon said. You understand how to inflict pain. Yalmoth smiled his dazzling smile. I have ways of preventing pain, opiates and the like, but I don't imagine you going for that sort of witchery. Next time. Next time I will, Glaceon said. Yalmoth nodded, stowing the vials in a tattered backpack. In the meantime, Rebek, you must avoid touching any infected sites. The lymph or blood from your husband, even what appears to be healthy skin. We do not know how this disease spreads, person to person, and you are at grave risk of becoming infected yourself. Rebek objected. But for over a year now, I have touched him. You must cease, Yalmoth replied sternly. No skin-to-skin contact. No fond caresses of hair. No kisses or hand-holding or embraces unless a clean linen separates you. You've been here only moments and you're trying to write me in sermons, Glaceon said. Yalmoth quickly covered the man in a blanket and deposited him in the chair. I'm trying to keep your wife out of sermons. I'll be given the same instruction to the healers who tend you. He closed his backpack and lifted it and his cloak. Now, I need a place and rest and some place to work over the samples. Rebecca crouched beside her husband's chair. Her hands nervously shied from the man's skin and clothes. Distractedly, she said, I've arranged apartments nearby. A short walk. So you can easily reach my husband at any hour. There's a workspace. Tables. Cabinets. Ample light. A splendid view. Another one of your designs? Yalmoth teased. When Rebecca nodded, he laughed. Stick with me, you said, and the city will be yours. He took her arm and drew her up, away from her husband. I'm sticking with you.